Welcome to the Tabletop Sportcast. I'm your host, James Cast. Today is March 12th, 2023, and this is episode 107, where I'm going to take a look at the top five pitcher fatigue systems in tabletop baseball. If you want to send me an email, it's tabletopsportcast at gmail.com. Send me questions, topic ideas, or just tell me about your favorite projects that I always love hearing about. If you want to check out the latest from my tabletop, head on over to facebook.com backslash tabletop sportcast, where I'll generally post something that's been going on with my tabletop uh, throughout the week. And finally, if you'd like to help support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com backslash tabletop sportcast, where $1 a month goes a long way to helping to offset costs for the podcast. I just finished posting my March patrons only episode uh, where I had a chance to just, you know, give my first impressions of the NCAA tournament bracket that just got released just a couple hours ago. Uh, and that's, you know, just one of the many exciting things that are going on right now in the sports world. So a lot of great storylines to be able to have play out on your tabletop based on things going on right now. All right. Why don't we go and take a look back at the week that was on my tabletop? Okay, so looking back at last week, here are some of the things that took place, or pretty much all the things that took place on my tabletop over the past seven days or so. Uh, Starting off with Legends of Boxing, uh, I had my Junior Featherweight Division Championship bout. This is actually a rematch. Wilfredo Gomez taking on Jeff Fenich. And Jeff Fenich had actually held the title and lost it to Gomez, I believe. Um... Actually, they just had a really tight match the last time out, if I recall correctly. So let me double check on that. But this was a really good match and a lot of back and forth action. Um, both fighters just love to trade punches. so And that's pretty much what they did in this fight. So it was just a really exciting fight uh, between the two of them. Um, their previous fight, looking back now at the junior featherweight division, uh, Gomez had gotten a split decision win over Jeff Fenich. So that's how they had ended up there. Uh, Gomez is, you know, that gave him two consecutive fights there where he had, um, has, has beaten Fenich. Uh, but this one was a tight one. So it did go, the judges were a hundred percent behind Gomez. He wins by unanimous decision um but it was a really good fight overall just a lot of good punches being traded lots of tko points being earned and nobody really ran away with it although gomez was scoring really well throughout the entire fight so he ended up winning it by unanimous decision uh my 1977 yankees replay yankees finally had their 11 game win streak snapped and then went on to lose back-to-back games one to the angels and then one to the athletics so uh they're gonna try to get back on track as they get started on their next series and that had you know the oakland series pretty much wrapped up their um west coast road trip there so and I think um, as I'm looking at my list here, I think I'm missing a game or two here too. So uh, really good stuff though. Uh, I'm 
you know, they're going to continue to play that Oakland series. Uh, and then they'll wrap up that West Coast road trip there. So uh, in my 1969 What If League, uh, the Mets and Yankees split a four-game series. And then later on, I believe we had another one. Um, yeah, we also had the A's take on the Angels, and the A's took three out of four in that series. So a couple of series down for that 69 season replay that I'm doing. With the college football bowl binge, the Mega Bowl, California Pacific ends up beating Iowa A&I 17-7, and that kept their playoff hopes, their championship hopes alive for the moment. They needed Georgia Northern to lose the punch bowl. And I played the punch bowl today and Georgia Northern destroyed Nebraska A&M 37 to 14. So Georgia Northern is going to earn their bid into the national championship game and they will play the winner of my next game uh, between the number one and four seeds. So Georgia Northern is going to play for the national championship, not California Pacific. In Hoops Madness, uh, several teams winning in the the 2020-21 bracket. I had Brooklyn top New York 100-94. San Antonio upset Toronto 122-113. And then a couple of really surprising uh, wins. Uh, Oklahoma City beat Boston 113-109, to and Indiana beat Milwaukee 119-108. to So Jason Tatum's Boston Celtics and Giannis is, and his Milwaukee Bucks are out of the tournament at this point. Let's see. We also did uh, – I, I kicked off some Bolarama – Kicked off some 1890s Fight Club. Oh, and of course, the 2023 Scram Cooperative. Uh, I ran the A to Z Auto Parts 600. Phil Yanez took the checkered flag, uh, but did it on turn 46. Uh, I had rain threaten the event, and it ended up being cold early. So after 46 laps, we got rain. And Phil Yanez took the, the lead on that final turn just in time. So he ends up getting the checkered flag on the A to Z auto part 600. We're down to about seven races that still have to get uh schedule. I think we got one more schedule today. So I have six races left to schedule. I'm going to probably grab one more of those and that'll leave me with just five races. So if you have any interest, head on over to my webpage and, or hit, send me an email and we'll get you signed up for a race. Cause we'd love to get those final five races across the finish line. Uh, still coming up on 30 days. We have three more days left to get to our, really our 28-day mark. Uh, and then probably go into the weekend uh, to get to really like, um, you know, give it just a couple more days to see if we can get those last couple races in. So, uh, but if not, or I might start just calling early if I can't get people to take those last couple races. Uh, and I think that's the majority of what we did uh, or what I did on the tabletop this week. So let's uh, shift over to today's main topic. So 
So this week, I want to take a look at some of the pitcher fatigue systems used in tabletop baseball games. Uh, and before we get into today's list and kind of help you set up like why these five were chosen. I'm going to describe like what I think of as like a really good pitcher fatigue system. And typically, this is what I'll do if I'm trying to homebrew it for games that don't have it. Um, I'll, I'll build something along these lines. And if I'm looking historically at pitcher performance, the thing that I think will give me the best indication of how long somebody is going to last in a game is going to be batter's faced. I think if you're going to build a system somewhat along the lines of batter's faced and use that number, I think it's a fairly consistent number for pitcher performance. And the deeper someone can go into a game, you know, is usually driven by the, the number of batters that they face. And if you can, you can be a really strong pitcher who's able to go longer because they can face more batters, or you could be somebody who just doesn't need to face a lot of batters. And then that will turn into length in the game. And you see different pitchers who pull this off. You know, if I think about a guy like a Greg Maddox, uh, Greg Maddox was able to pitch deep into games mostly because he was effective and efficient. He didn't throw a lot of pitches. He didn't have to face a lot of batters. And when you can do both of those things, even though you wouldn't call him one of the strongest pitchers out there, and a lot of times you look at his pitch counts and he wasn't throwing over like 100 pitches a lot of times. Like he was able to effectively get through games with fewer pitches. Then you've got your workhorse guys who can throw like over 100 pitches every time out, you know, and, and you know, if you go back into the old, older days, like even pitching a lot more than that, right? And if I think about a guy like a Nolan Ryan who could pitch deeper into games despite the fact that he was walking a lot of batters, giving up hits here and there, uh, throwing a lot of pitches because he was a big-time strikeout pitcher. And a lot of strikeout pitchers were not as efficient in terms of their pitch counts, uh, and they would face – more batters as a result, but they just had a lot of strength in that arm and were able to pitch deep into games as a result of that. So you have, you have the two different types of pitches that are out there. So when you use batter's face, now all of a sudden you can really generate a system that takes into account, like how many batters are you facing and not just base it on the innings. Although the innings can be a result of who you faced and how many batters you're facing. So a pitcher who's not that great is going to have a low innings per game because they're just not as effective. And when you're not as effective, it's going to lead to less innings. So the two do go hand in hand a little bit, but to me, the, if I really bring it back to like more of a root cause, it's going to be batters face. Like how many batters can you typically face? And then a really good system should also account for starters and relievers. Um, you should have a system that takes into account both. And relievers become a lot more difficult to measure um, because they tend to come out more for situational uh, situations, right? You know, like you may have that left-handed specialist back in the day. You know, nowadays they have the three batter minimum. But for a long while, their relievers could come in just to face the one guy. And I don't necessarily think that that meant they could only be effective for the one guy, but 
because of their use in the game, you started to think, okay, well, they're not going to have a lot of batters face. They're going to have like one to three batters that they can face. So then the trick is like, what do you do with a system? And I think the really good systems then try to base it off of that batters faced formula or maybe innings. And then also give some play in there to, to think about like what should happen to a pitcher's performance. Now, there are some things that these systems also take into account. Um, and usually, like, what are the rewards? Like, if you're going to game the system a little bit, are there rewards for pitching well? And typically, that's going to be things like pitching a shutout is going to be a driver that might allow a pitcher to go a little longer into a game. And, you know, we talked with the pocket pennant run guys about this a little bit, and some of it is a little bit of gamesmanship, right? And, like, I don't want to overly reward a pitcher who's pitching well. Uh, and I can remember playing, you know, um, APA and Baseball for Windows when I was playing a lot of computer games. And I would have a really bad starter who got through a couple of good innings, and then all of a sudden they just started seeing their upgrades come, and they just became a tougher and tougher pitcher to get past. And I always hated that part of the system because it just felt like it was – a little too contrived, but I think a little reward is not a bad thing, you know, and I think if you give someone a little bit of extra leniency to go deeper into a game when they're throwing like a shutout, or if you, you know, if they take it to another degree and like pitching a no hitter, well, now you're starting to play off the idea of like realism a little bit too, because chances are the manager is going to give them some leeway, right? And they're going to let them go a little deeper in the game when they are throwing a shutout just to see how deep they can go to an extent. I mean, nowadays it's even hard to imagine like pitchers, you know, we see them so often, like even when they're throwing a no hitter coming out and all of a sudden we're starting to see like these, um, you know, pitching staff, no hitters pop up. And the reason is just the pitchers don't have the length that they used to. They're throwing harder and harder. And because of that, they're, stamina in the games becomes shorter and shorter. And the, the idea of guys throwing like a no hitter, they've got to be really efficient to have a shot at a no hitter these days. So that's the context around it. When I'm home brewing, I like to think about batters faced as like a good metric to use to build a system. And that's the bias I'm going to go into this list with as I look at five games that have utilized systems that I think work similar to what I would want to design. And we're going to start with season ticket baseball. So season ticket baseball, this is a game, this is a game I'm just starting to get familiar with. So I wouldn't even call myself an expert, but the pitcher fatigue system uses a little blend of both. Um, you start with a base number of innings and it's really becomes kind of like your test for how long a pitcher can go into a game but then there's a fatigue factor above that that says also start to track like the number of uh, hits and walks that they're giving up. Um, because you're starting to look at the knocks against the pitcher and building that up, that's going to influence their fatigue once they get past a certain threshold. And that threshold is the number of innings they're allowed to go. And this starts to become really much more effective for some of the relief pitchers as well, because, you know, you have relievers who don't even have like an inning of just straight effectiveness. They might go in with a zero 
and then therefore going to start facing fatigue at a much earlier system. But the starters, they're going to get a base number of innings that they can go before they start feeling that fatigue, but then it's going to really start to multiply on them. And they might just hit a point where they just hit the wall at their at their threshold number, whether it be like five, six, or seven innings. Now, what I also like about this is it starts to play in this level of effectiveness starts to drop more and more. And it's really based on the results. Like more and more results are going to leave the pitcher's control and become more open to batter controls. So that's a really effective system in that right as well, is that you are blending the two. You're starting with innings. So I'd rather see them start with batters faced. Um, but the fact that they use the innings and they're using those knocks against them to bring them through different levels of freshness in a sense, or levels of fatigue. And the more levels of fatigue they have, the more results they lose control of. And that's a really good, effective system. So for number five, it's going to be season ticket baseball. Checking at number four is pocket pennant run. And pocket pennant run, again, uses a really basic system for rating pitchers, A, B, C, and D. And what you're going to do is, again, it's going to use innings, not batter's face, but innings to determine like how long can a pitcher go well, where they can maintain their control. And then once they pass that inning threshold, they're going to start to degrade. And literally, right? They're going to go from an A to a B, from a B to a C, from a C to a D. And it still gives you the power to decide like, what are they going to do? When do I pull them? You know, they're not really going to just be taken out automatically here. I can keep a guy in. And if, you know, much to the conversation we had with uh, Matt and Craig, if I have a pitcher who's throwing a no hitter and they've started to degrade and they're going into that ninth inning as a D like I've got a decision to make. Like, do I let them go out there and see what they can go? And when do I pull them? And I might just do that. I might do that depending on how close that game is and have to decide, like, at what point is it now, you know, hey, that's enough. Well, it might be like as soon as you give up a hit, I'm pulling you because you're already a D. And it was funny because, like, and even though I didn't bring it up at the time, like when I when we were talking about this with Matt and Craig, like the image that I had was that World Series game for the New York Mets against the Kansas City Royals when Matt Harvey went out for the ninth inning. And Everybody knew he just shouldn't have been out there, but he was pitching a really good game. And it was almost like, how do I take the ball from him at this point? And he went out there and kind of coughed it up. And that probably caused the Mets the World Series at that point. Right. But they had that tough decision. And I was thinking to myself, like, yep, yeah, he was probably going out there as like a D pitcher at that point, even though he had pitched really well, like he was gassed. And I think pocket pennant run does a really nice job of capturing like that gassed feeling in the game. So they check in at number four with their degrading of the pitcher control number. And again, it has an impact. Uh, you know, by degrading the pitcher, you're going to give more and more results to favor the batter. So it's a really effective system. But at the same time, it's not a uh, complete, you know, risk of losing everything. You, you still have a chance to have a pitcher get those outs, even as a degraded D pitcher. That brings us to number three on this list. And number three is history maker baseball. 
So History Maker Baseball with its quality-based system has a couple of intangibles that can play into that pitcher fatigue. Um, it uses, it doesn't really, it uses innings a little bit. Um, they do have in more of their advanced cards now, you get into the idea of like strong ratings to determine whether or not a pitcher can go a little deeper into games. But generally it's based on the era they're pitching in. Um, and that will determine how many innings they have of pure freshness and then semi-freshness. Freshness gives you a lot of qualities and, and a lot of results on the results book will go in your favor and you have a lot of chance to get outs when you are fresh. When you get to semi-fresh, it becomes almost like a batter by batter uh, system. And I like the idea of using the decider die there because just because a guy is rolls semi-fresh doesn't mean he's going to stay semi-fresh. It's going to be a batter to batter situation, but you know, once they get out of that semi-freshness period, and typically, you know, I think in the base game, it's usually like three innings fresh, three innings semi-fresh, but that can be altered based on the error in which you're pitching in. And when you get to that seventh inning, and if you've got a pitcher and they don't have like a really big lead, like you're looking at like, you're not getting any fresh results. Like I might need a fresh arm at this point. And it, it really forces you to think more about like, how many results do I give up? So they just naturally have that. Now, History Maker Baseball does award pitchers who are pitching a shutout, and they can stay semi-fresh as long as they're still pitching a shutout up until the ninth inning. So you have that extra benefit there that that can work in their favor. Now, the other thing that they do in History Maker Baseball is they are also tracking like total runs allowed. So as soon as you've given up five runs, earned or unearned, five runs is going to move you into a semi-struggler. You're going to pick up another quality that's going to hurt the pitcher. So that becomes another deciding factor. You might still have a pitcher who's fresh, but if he gets rocked in that first inning and now he's picked up struggler, you know, do you let him take one for the team for a few innings or do you start thinking about, do I got to pull this guy? And depending on how good the pitcher is, might make that decision easier. Or depending on how bad the pitcher is, you know, with the 77 Yankees, I've got one of my main starters is a full struggler. So giving up five or six runs doesn't do anything to impact him. He's already a full struggler. He's not really losing anything by giving up a lot of runs. So typically I'm still leaving him in there because at least he's still got some freshness and it's like, well, this is what he's supposed to be doing. He's supposed to be giving up these runs and they've just got to either score more or just let him eat some innings for the team. But they've got those two systems working together, one based on runs, the other one based on like the inning freshness. Um, because they still have the system with the strong ratings, and I think there's one, and I'm blanking on it right now, for when a pitcher doesn't pitch a lot of innings compared to their peers. But um, that also allows you to like play in another uh, level of even though they don't strictly say it's like going to be the sixth inning, like you have an idea about like how many innings they have of fresh and how many they have of semi-fresh. So you play off of that a little bit. And I love that that gray area is still based on a die roll. It takes us to number two on this list, which is inside pitch. And really I've never played inside pitch, so but I've you know spent some time this week just reading up on some of these systems, and this is one that stood out because I think it is really close to what I would want to do. First, it's based on batters faced. 
but they also downgraded that a little bit to show like, you know, there's a point where, well, I think it's batter's faced. And then whenever they reach that, now they're tired. But then they also have another factor where they're tracking, like, I think it's hits, runs, and walks, like all those knocks against the pitcher. And when they reach a certain threshold there, they reach a pull number. So you've got two things working against you here, uh, working against the pitcher. Um, and they stay effective until they get to those thresholds. When they're tired, there are results that will go you know, a different way. Um, they may have been pitcher favorable results that now become batter favorable results once they reach tired. But once they reach that pull number, it's time for them to come out. And they use those ratings for both the starters and the relievers. Um, and that, I think, makes it for a very effective system. Uh, and like I said, basing it on batters faced rather than innings, I think is a really effective way to go. Going back again to my little bit of a preamble at the beginning of this list. So I love that they're using that. And that that in itself is going to probably be one of those motivating factors to say, yep, let's get this game. Let's check this system out and see how this plays out uh, on the tabletop. So inside pitch has a, you know, from what I'm looking at, looks like a really effective system and one that, you know, reading through some of the boards and stuff that people really enjoy that as well. That takes us to our number one on this list. And, you know, probably a little bit of bias here because it's the one that I grew up on. But that number one, I've got Status Pro Baseball and their SR and RR system. So the SR and RR systems are really based on just, you know, it takes into account like the total number of knocks uh, that a pitcher is going to face throughout the game. And it's a weight of like runs, you know, um, hits, walks, like all those knocks that can go against a pitcher. And each pitcher just starts with a number. And, you know, some pitchers are able to just start with a much higher number. And it's just because they were able to face more things. So like going back to our example, even though Greg Maddox w went deep into games, he's not going to start with a very high SR number. And Nolan Ryan is going to start with a much higher SR number. Those numbers are also influenced by their PR ratings. Um, so the the higher your PR, the less knocks you're going to get because you're just gonna, not going to face as many knocks. You know, like if you're a two nine pitcher versus a two seven, uh, you're going to have fewer knocks to begin with as well. So some of your starters, like a Greg Maddox, are probably going to start with a really low number because he's going to be a two eight two nine type pitcher. And he didn't give up a lot of those knocks to begin with anyway. So he's going to see his number start really low and he's just not going to use them that often. Whereas like a Nolan Ryan is probably going to typically be more of a two, six or two, seven in status pro is going to have a much higher number. And he's probably going to, you know, whereas Maddox is probably going to be at like eight or nine. I'm going to guess most times you're going to probably see like uh, Ryan be up around 15, 16, 17 in terms of the total knocks he's allowed to face. And it's both are going to lead them to being able to pitch effectively and probably both pitchers would see themselves going deep into the game. And then once they've used up those ratings, they're going to start to see that PR number decline. So you're going to have that degradation that takes place. Um, there's no bonuses for, you know, pitching well. Uh, so they don't give any of those bonuses for like pitching a shutout. It's really based on that SR and RR. Um, and it works really well for relievers too, because, you know, you bring a reliever in and, 
some of them only have like one or two, especially modern day pitchers are only going to have like one or two. And if they come in and give up a hit on that first batter, like, and it's not like that three batter minimum, like they're probably coming out because they're going to start having a degraded performance there. So it's not exactly based on batters faced or innings pitched, but it, because of the formulas that they use in that, it really is derived from that idea of how many batters can you face in a game? And I think that that becomes a really effective system. So, um, and you know, mathematically it's something easy to track because it's just moving it on the chart on the game board. Um, and, and I, I think the ease of use of that makes it pretty good. Most of these are pretty easy to use though, I will say. So I think that's another reason that these are all good top fives here is, they're all really easy systems to implement. So I think all five of these games, you know, from my standpoint, kind of got it right. Like, and I think they stay true to what I think would be a really good system, whether it be innings or preferably batters faced, um, just trying to stay true to that idea and looking back at pitcher performance to say, this is about how long you should go. Now, how do I get that to happen in the game? And then what's the penalty when you do? Um, so there's my top five. I will throw the kicker in to say, like, I have a feeling that if I were, you know, playing inside pitch more because of the way the system is designed, I think there's a chance that it probably would have – it has an – if I did this a year from now and I get a chance to play inside pitch, my t feeling is that it would probably take over the number one spot and status pro would drop a little bit. Um, I think there's a good chance I'll own it here and say like, there's a good chance that the reason I did them is one and two in the order that I did it is mostly because one of those I've played a lot and the other one I haven't played at all. Um, I think there's, I will own that as a potential bias there. So um, if you're sitting there and thinking like he should have picked inside pitch one, you you may not be wrong, um, but that's my order. I'm going to go with status pro as number one inside pitch number two. History Maker Baseball 3, Pocket Pennant Run 4, and then Season Ticket Baseball as number 5. Um, and unlike some of my other lists, I really do have to say, like, I don't think there's that much daylight between all five of these. So if you have it in a different order, that's probably something I can get behind. All right. All right. I'll come back now and do a wrap up on today's episode. All right, that's a wrap on this week's episode. Uh, next week, episode 108, we're going to go back to our Agile principles and talk about embracing change. And as part of that, I'll probably go over some of the changes that I've been making to my annual plan and the reasons why. But embracing change is a really important aspect of those Agile principles that we covered last year. So we'll be going to that and talking through that. Um, in the meantime, you know, we hopefully will be also the next this by this time next week, we'll have wrapped up the 2023 Scram co-op. Uh, again, if you'd like to take part, head on over. And, you know, I haven't gotten anything on the YouTube channel recently, but my goal is to probably get a new episode up soon. And I might even just do, um, I'm gonna try doing a playthrough a little bit uh of now that i've got this diamond uh digital diamond baseball going i'm probably you know, showcase that as i go through my 77 yankees replay and maybe post an episode of that 
just to talk through like baseball as I as I kind of go through the game a little bit there. So uh, hoping hoping to have both of those take place this week, and you know coming up on mid March here. So enjoy like the kickoff of the NCAA basketball tournament. I know for me, even though I don't watch a lot of college basketball. Um, I will definitely be getting tuned in throughout the weekend uh, for these opening round games, which is like one of the highlights of the year in terms of my spectator sporting, right? Um, Big time, you know, for this tournament. So I'm going to really enjoy that this weekend and it might interrupt my tabletop gaming a little bit, but it'll be well worth it. So um, looking forward to that. So until then, thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.